our mantra as a culture. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Now, that's one of those things that... <laughs> I guess they're trying to rickroll me there. Now, that seems to be a little bit true of our production team today. They seem to want to do what they want to do when they want to do it. So who's, who's running this back there? Me. <laughs> who's me? It's Mike, unless Hannah um, wants to take responsibility. For this okay. uh, you know, how about this, Mike? How about uh, no more Rickroll? Is that all right? Can we agree? Sure. Okay. All right. There we go. All right. So let's move on. Our culture has a mantra. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. But unfortunately, when we live like this, it can be destructive. First of all, people may not want us to do what we want to do when we want to do it because it gets in the way of them doing what they want to do when they want to do it. Have you ever experienced that? Or sometimes doing what we want to do actually isn't good for us. I mean, let me give you an example. Ever been to Krispy Kreme? The first time I went to Krispy Kreme, I didn't just have one Krispy Kreme. I had seven. Now, the problem with that is we had bought a dozen to share with the family. And I'm eating the seventh donut when my wife says, why won't you stop eating them? And I said, because they're still warm. Have you ever had them when they're hot? The first time I had them, I could not stop. Just because I wanted to do it doesn't mean it's the right thing. I don't think I went to Krispy Kreme again for months after that. I was sick from that experience. So what if there is a better way? What if you and I live differently than others around us? Rather than by living by this mantra, I'm gonna do what I wanna do when I wanna do it, what if we surrendered that way of living to God? Instead, followed his will and his ways. Now in this series, One Hit Wonders, we're looking at letters in the scripture that are one page. And if you read this one page, apply it to your life, it can change your life. These little tiny one-hit wonders. And so today we're looking at Jude. Hey, Jude. Clever. All right, yes. Okay, yes, that song uh, is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the, the Jude in the Bible. Uh, but Jude is actually the half-brother of Jesus. And in this series, we're looking at these letters that can really transform our life. And so what's happening here is we've got this opportunity to learn from this little tiny page about how to trust God, how to go down a different path. Maybe that's you. You're here. You know what? I don't want to go down the wrong road. I do want to do the right thing, but I'm having a hard time pulling it off. Or maybe you're going down a destructive road and you're ready to get off. Today we're going to talk about how you and I have the opportunity to choose which direction we go and we have God's help in the process. If we choose to trust and obey God, it's better for us and we will be glad that we did. And those that we love will be glad that we did too. See, the scriptures are filled with examples of bad choices. And in fact, Oftentimes, the, the parts of the Bible that seem so judgmental are actually warnings to people of faith of don't go this way because the consequences will hurt you, which leads to today's one-hit wonder. Let me give you a little more context for Jude. 
It was written by the half-brother of Jesus, the full brother of James, who was also an author of one of the letters in the New Testament. He was also one of the leaders of the early church. Eventually, he was martyred. He was killed because of his faith. And James and Jude had rejected Jesus. In fact, they were there. One of the stories tells us that they were trying to convince him to stop talking. They didn't want people paying attention to him and his message. But everything changed. When Jesus was crucified, then when he rose from the dead, they became believers and ultimately leaders in the church. So let's look at the first two verses from Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. It's almost as if Jude didn't want to, he didn't feel worthy enough of mentioning that he too was a brother of Jesus. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. I want to look at two of the words in particular from these first couple verses. First is the word called. We are called, we are chosen. God is inviting us into a relationship. But we have the freedom to choose whether or not we want to be adopted. God pursues us. And if we say yes, it's not about knowing a bunch of facts about God, it's about surrendering our lives to him. See, God has created you on purpose and with a purpose. And we have the chance to decide, not only will we trust him with our life, but will we follow him in his ways? Every day we have the chance to make that decision. That's why Jesus said, if you follow me, take up your cross daily. Every day we have to decide, am I gonna die to myself? Because when we die to ourselves, we surrender every aspect of our life to Jesus, it actually helps us become who he's created us to be. We surrender our, our lives to Jesus, not to get God to love us, but we choose to surrender our lives to him because he already does love us. It's out of gratitude that we respond. See, not only did God create you on purpose and for a purpose, he came to rescue you and me. He came and walked among humanity as a person. He sweat, he bled, he healed the sick, he cast out evil, he taught with authority, and ultimately he willingly chose to die on the cross for the sins of humanity. But death and sin could not hold him down. He rose from the dead. And he offers new life to anyone who would say, yes, I need what you did on the cross to count for me. I need your forgiveness. I need you to lead me. When we choose to follow Jesus, his spirit, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, comes to live inside of us and empowers us and enables us to live the life he's called us to live. You are called. How do you respond to that invitation? It's not just a one-time calling. It's an invitation to a life that leads to adventures greater than what you could ever imagine. Look again, another word I want us to look at is the word abundance. It says, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Think about that word for a moment. Abundance. It's not a word we use a lot. It means to increase or to be increased in the fullest measure, to be multiplied. Think about that for a moment. Jude is saying that you can have mercy and peace and grace, God's love undeserved 
in increasing measure beyond what you could ever imagine. And I've shared this before, but I was raised by two loving parents. Our, our heritages were part Scottish, part German, and all tightwad. That's just our background. And so I was raised in a family with a scarcity mentality. And so learning to be generous and, and learning to trust God, even financially, has always been a struggle. And this year, coming into 2019, I don't know if you've ever done this exercise, but I prayed about a word for the year. And the word I got for this year was abundance. And I was a little worried about that because I don't know what that's like. I know scarcity. That's my mentality. I literally, I grew up thinking that we were poor and then realizing you can't be poor in the suburbs of Dallas-Fort Worth. That's not <laughs> poverty. When I saw real poverty, I realized, oh, this is, this is what real struggle is about. Not having cable when everybody else has cable is not a struggle, right? And so abundance, what does that mean? Well, near the beginning of the year after that word had come to me, uh, we were given just a gift of a place to stay and a two tickets cashing in miles. And then my wife brings out an envelope with enough money that we are going to Hawaii this year for our 25th anniversary. It's just exciting opportunity. We haven't been to Hawaii in years. Yeah, you can applaud for either Hawaii or my anniversary. I'm not sure which one you're <laughs> applauding for. Either one. I mean, we're excited. We always like to travel right about that first week of August when it's like 110. And so super exciting. The year begins with, oh, yes, this is the year of abundance. And then I got an invitation to speak at this corporate event. And it just felt like, wow, this is it. This is the year, the breakthrough year financially. And then on our actual anniversary, March the 12th, many of you who are around that season remember the story. I woke up that day. We had big plans only to end up in the ER in the most excruciating pain of my life. I was carrying a kidney stone eager to give birth to that thing. It was the most painful experience of my life. And I don't know if you know this, but if you go to the ER, even with insurance, it's really expensive. And all those bills have started coming in these last few weeks. And just this past week, I was thinking, the year of abundance, God, what is going on? We owe more now to doctors than maybe any other time in our life, except for when we had children. And those are far more fun than a kidney stone. And then I was reminded, abundance in the scripture is not material, but something far more profound, something far better. It's spiritual. See, if we understand who we are in Christ and all we have in Christ, we would realize we have abundance. We have access to all the mercy and peace and joy, faithfulness, self-control, all the fruit of the spirit. We have access to all of that. See, if you're looking to a person to meet your deepest needs, you will always be disappointed. If you're looking to your spouse to, to be there in every way that you need, emotionally and spiritually, you will be disappointed. If you're looking to a friendship or your parents or to your kids, if you're looking to any human being, they cannot possibly meet your deepest longings that only God can meet. It's not a career, it's not a vacation, it's not weekends off. The deepest longings can only be met in a relationship with the one who created us, the one who loves us. When we come to him, he fills us up, meets those needs so that we can go out and meet the needs of those around us. 
Look what happens as Jude continues writing. Verse three, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. So Jude wanted to write about salvation, but he heard they were in danger, so he changed the topic. And in that, he writes about contending for the faith. Another phrase we don't use a lot, contend. It literally means to struggle upon appropriately with skill and commitment and opposing wherever is not faith. He's inviting you and me to contend, to literally struggle appropriately with skill and commitment in opposing whatever goes against our faith. Now, what was happening is similar to what we read about last week in 2 John. There was a sinister cult-like situation happening at this time in history. Gnostics had begun to infiltrate these house churches, and Gnostics believed that Jesus was not truly fully man and fully God. They believed that he was truly a person, but then the Messiah, the spirit of the Messiah came to live within him at the baptism, but left once he was crucified. Now you might think, well, that just sounds like different kind of theology, but it had far-reaching implications. You see, they believed that the body is evil and only the spirit is good. And so because of that, you can do whatever you want with your body because it's dirty, it's unclean, it's your spirit. And what was happening is they were living any way they wanted to, and they were telling others they could do whatever they want, and they were reaping the destruction of their decisions, and people were wandering away from their faith. This letter is a warning to followers of Jesus not to drift away from the teachings of Jesus. And there's even a neo-Gnosticism today that, that we think because God loves us so much, then we can just do whatever we want, unconcerned with consequences. When in reality, God is warning us. He loves us. He's trying to say, don't go the way of the world because it's only going to hurt you and hurt those you love. In fact, in this section of the letter, Jesus' brother, who's writing to followers of Jesus, says to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. That's a word maybe you've heard growing up going to church, holy. And there's another verse that says in the scriptures, be holy as God is holy. No pressure, right? God is perfect. God is creator of the universe, all-knowing, and he is holy. Now, that word holy literally means set apart. See, you and I are to live differently. And in living differently, it actually shows the world around us that God is real, that his power is real. To live holy means to live a life willing to sacrifice, out of gratitude for what God has done. And when we catch a glimpse of God's holiness, we're actually experiencing God's presence. We're beginning to live out his character in our lives. We're catching a glimpse of heaven on earth. So in verse four, he's warning his readers not to abuse the grace of God as a license to do whatever we want sexually. Now, some of you may be thinking, why is God always so concerned with my sex life? Now, what, what does that have to do with my relationship with God? And let me just say, the church has not done a good job of talking about this 
over the years. If you're here and you're not following Jesus, you have to understand this is a letter written to followers of Jesus. And what the church has done wrong is try to impose our high standards on people who do not yet believe. And that's not the intention. If you're here and you're not following Jesus, my hope is you'll hear this as an invitation into a life that's very different, a life that is free from the ways of the world, because that's what you might want to experience. Now, in this particular passage, Jude doesn't go into all the questions about why would God talk about this, but Paul, a church planter who wrote several letters to leaders and even church plants that make up half of the New Testament, wrote a lot about this. In fact, I want to read from Romans 6. Romans 6 says this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly be also united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. This afternoon, we're celebrating baptism at Lady Bird Lake. If that's your next step, we'd love to celebrate that with you. Just go to the connect spot for more information. But if you've been baptized, you might have heard, although it's hard to hear when you're under the water. I've realized sometimes I'm saying this while I'm dunking. But when you are being baptized, traditionally what is said is you are buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk a new life. It's symbolic of what's actually happened in your heart. You are a new creation. You are now free to live without the hindrances of the ways of the world pulling you down. Of course, God is concerned about our sex lives because he's concerned about us. He loves us so much that he doesn't want us to go through the heartache and the pain and the devastation that happens in the context of intimacy outside of marriage. If sexual intimacy is like a fire, then the marriage relationship is like a fireplace where the fire belongs. Outside of that fireplace, fire can be incredibly destructive. See, if you are a follower of Jesus, our body is no longer ours. We become his children and we represent him everywhere we go. I found this fascinating quote. In the second century, so think about this, just after Jesus was here, these early church followers were living life and they were this whole new thing on the planet. They were the first to describe that Jesus is alive and that his life is worth emulating and he is worth following as leader, as Lord. 
And so there was this doctor who was writing about the early church and he describes this odd group called Christians. He says this, they have these odd beliefs. They believe in the resurrection of the body and they don't sleep around. That's so odd, right? Everyone else in Rome, I suppose, if you've been to a Roman bath, it was all just different, all right? But N.T. Wright, he's a New Testament scholar, points out that these two descriptions are related. You see, the early followers of Jesus saw Jesus alive and he came in a new body. He was the first of what will become the new heaven and new earth. And you and I receive that same spirit that rose him from the dead. And so he writes, N.T. Wright says, the two of these ideas, believing in the resurrection of the body and not sleeping around, went together. The human body was attaining a new dignity, a new valuation. Nobody had imagined that kind of way of life. Paul taught it. The early Christians were modeling it. You see, you and I are far more valuable than what the world wants to take from us. And when we trust him, rather than taking what we want, when we trust him and to receive his wisdom and the good gifts he has for us, we will always be glad we did. When we live differently than the ways of this world, people notice and they want what we have. If we want to live a life different than what we see our family living or friends that have gone through difficult times, then we need to make sacrifices and make different decisions than they would. When we lived in Los Angeles, I was a youth pastor and it was the late 90s, early 2000s. And so my message to the youth group every week, it felt like was read the Bible, don't have sex. That's basically what youth pastors talk about. And I remember a girl going into her senior year named Maria uh, was very excited about her faith. And so I went to her and said, hey, Maria, why don't you start a small group? Deborah can help you. That's my wife. And why don't you start a group to reach your friends? And she thought that was a great idea. Well, the first several weeks, it was just Maria and my wife, Deborah. And they had some great discussions. I mean, there were not a lot of others to interrupt, right? But in the middle of that, she started asking questions about the Bible. In fact, one of her questions was, why would God care about sex, if two people love each other. And then eventually, after spending time in the scripture, she confessed that she was sleeping with her boyfriend. And so we helped them come up with healthier boundaries to move forward, and something amazing happened. Several of her friends that started coming to the group. Then several of those friends actually decided to follow Jesus and get baptized. And so I asked Maria, I said, Maria, what happened? It went from nobody coming to now, you've got several of your friends getting baptized. And she said, well, what happened is I would invite them to come to youth group or to the small group. And every time I'd invite them, they'd say, why should we come? And I would say, because God can change your life. And then they would say, well, he hasn't changed yours. And I realized that I was, I was living a hypocritical life. And so I started asking Deborah about what God says and trying to not live in my own wisdom, but try to live by his wisdom. And, and so by confessing and, and asking God for help and a, a chance to start afresh, they started seeing a difference in my life and wanted what they saw in me. So they started coming. Basically, she was saying, I wasn't reading the Bible and I was having sex. I was basically doing the opposite of what you were saying every single week. But by trying to reach her friends, that's what drove her to the scriptures, to understand God's heart 
That's what led her to start living a whole different life, which intrigued her friends enough that brought them to faith. See, there may be things in your life that you're holding on to that are actually holding you back. There may be things that you enjoy, but, but deep down, if you were honest, there are things that you can't let go of. If you're unsure, if there's something in your life that this is just something I enjoy, but it's not a big deal, I could quit anytime I want, then try it. Just go through the end of the summer without that drink, without watching that show, without going to that website. Just try it and see. And if for some reason it keeps coming back, then maybe there's some deeper work that needs to be done. Working through the 12 steps, learning to confess, to have others in your life to help you, to lean on God. See, God invites us not only to have a higher standard, to live differently, but he wants to help us to do that to live truly free. So then Jude goes in to several examples of what not to do. If you had a chance this week, every week we're, we share on Mondays on our Facebook page what to read getting ready for the next Sunday. And if you read through the book of Jude and the book of James, then you might have saw that in the book of Jude, he just goes over lots of different terrible examples of what not to do. Jude shares about the destruction faced by those who go their own way, refusing to listen to the warnings God has brought into their life. The next section of Jude is intense. Hey, Jude, don't make it bad. All right, clever. I see what you're doing there. Take a sad song and make it better. All right, this service is brought to you by the film Yesterday. Um, <laughs> but, you know, here's what I'm going to do. Rather than making, taking something bad, let's like take that sad song and make it better. All right. So here's what happens. You see lots of case studies in the scriptures and some of the heroes of the faith. You see things they did that were not good. In fact, you're surprised they're even considered heroes. And then other people you might completely ignore have these heroic moments. And Tim Keller describes it this way. He says, the message of the Bible is not that God blesses and saves those who live moral and exemplary lives. The message of the Bible is that God persistently and continuously gives his grace to people who don't ask or even appreciate it. See, when you and I think that living this life is just stop doing bad and doing more good, that God looks at us and measures us by this, this weight of balance between the good and the bad things we do, we're completely misunderstanding God. See, before anything you've ever done for God, God did everything for you. His love for you is real and true. And so this letter, it's a letter of warning. It's a letter saying, I love you. I care for you. Don't go this way. He, he gives example. Jude talks about the Israelites after they were freed from Egypt in the Exodus, wanting to go back to slavery instead of wandering in the wilderness. He talks about how the angels rebelled against God in Genesis. He talks about how the people of Sodom and Gomorrah we're attempting to rape anyone who came through town. It was a time when there were no hotels, so you just had to stay with anyone willing to give you hospitality. Someone came to me after the first service and said, I wonder what the Yelp reviews were staying in Sodom and Gomorrah. They were not good. It was terrible. But he quotes First Enoch and the Testament of Moses, which were popular books at the time, which the people reading this letter from Jude would know He's reminding us that when we don't trust God, things go badly. We need to trust God. His wisdom is not ours. It's better than ours. 
And so he goes into more examples. Cain, who murdered his brother and built a violent city. Balaam, who lured Israel into evil. Korah rebelled against Moses. And he points out that these people teaching you these things are selfish shepherds. They're like clouds with no rain. Don't listen to them. Stay true to what's real. Then verse 17, Jude says, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere uh, natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. In other words, watch out. There are forces opposing your relationship with God your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your church family, your relationship with your roommates, with your friends. There are forces against your peace and your joy. So the antidote is to build yourself up in your faith as part of the body of Christ, the new temple on heaven and earth. Every week we point out a different Bible Project video, if you had a chance to watch the one on Jude, there was a, a part of that, which I'll show you, which describes the community of Jesus is now God's new temple. And we're to stay alert. Loving God is expressed by obedience, and we're to pray in the Spirit. And when we exhibit this kind of holy faith, it helps us share the message, the good news. See, what's happening in the scriptures, it begins, actually, the first two chapters are about heaven and earth where heaven met earth in the place called Eden. But then when humanity rebelled, God once again intervened. Heaven met earth among the people of Israel at the tabernacle. And then heaven met earth at the temple. You could go to worship God at the temple. But then Jesus said when he walked around that the temple would be destroyed. It was not here for much longer, but that he was the place where heaven met earth. And then something miraculous happened. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, his spirit comes to live inside every one of us who follow Jesus. And now we are made up. We make up the body of Christ. We are the temple of God. Everywhere we go, we bring a glimpse of heaven with us. And the last two chapters are when heaven and earth are reunited and all evil and brokenness is eliminated and erased. But before that happens, if you are a follower of Jesus, that's why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We bring a glimpse of heaven to earth everywhere we go when we trust him in the way we live, when we love the way he loved. The church advances the message of Jesus because of its unity and diversity that we're set apart in our behavior yet sent out into our relationships. And the way we bring heaven to earth everywhere we go is we take personal responsibility for our own spiritual growth. We become less focused on ourselves, more focused on serving others. That's when we experience what Jesus promised. If you lose your life in serving others, that's when you'll find your life. 
And then verse 23 and 24, the end of this little letter from Jude. Be merciful to those who doubt. What a precious statement. If you doubt, God's heart for you is mercy. And if you are a follower of Jesus, it's not judgment we're to bring to the world. We're supposed to bring mercy everywhere we go. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. When you and I decide to live according to God's ways, we bring transformation everywhere we go. We experience it internally and we bring it to others as well. When you and I follow what the scriptures tell us, listen to what happens in verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, Jesus is there to help you from stumbling. You are not in this journey all by yourself. God is helping us become who he's created us to be. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. God helps us pull this off. So I want to ask you, are you bringing heaven everywhere you go on earth? Just a glimpse Do people get a sense of God's presence through the way you live your life? I want to invite you during these next two songs to just sing out, but also to reflect, to connect your heart to God. Allow him to speak to you about what your next step might be. Maybe there's someone that God will bring to mind that he wants you to rescue, to show mercy towards, to love, to help along the way, to rescue. Or maybe there's something you're holding on to that's destructive that he wants you to surrender to him. Or maybe you're here and you feel a a great deal of guilt or even condemnation. That is not from God. What God wants you to do is know he loves you. And you can be honest with him of whatever you want to confess. You're not a mix of your best moments with your bad moments. You're not the sum total of your worst decisions. You are invited to be a child of the king, loved, created on purpose and for a purpose, living freely, nothing holding you back. So whatever your next step is, allow God to speak to you during this time.